Walter Zimmerman here, Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, represent. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Christian and I are joined in Shoulder to Shoulder Studios today by Luke Clip from Pride Republic. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. We're honored to have you. We'll talk more about how we became aware of you and your presence in the community. But before we do that, we usually like to talk about the recap and what's happened in the last week, which has been a lot for LAFC. There has been so much going on, both on the pitch and off the pitch, with the squad, with the community. So why don't we start first and foremost with what went down today at the bank. We had our final preseason warm-up before we all head down to Leon, LAFC, Took it down today. So what were your impressions of the match? Like, boys, I'm, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. From what I saw on, on Twitter and Instagram, it seemed like, at least from Vince, I also saw some of that video, that we were able to dominate possession. We were able to stay compact defensively. Didn't allow too much space or opportunities. We got that early lead, but unfortunately they tied not, not, not that much after the half. Didn't like that dynamic. It seemed like we didn't put away opportunities early, but in the end, we did get the win. I know that you guys probably want to talk about some of the goals and who scored them. Rayito getting three goals in three matches, that makes me feel good. He's feeling better in the system, and we're going to need him to be hot to take advantage of some of maybe the holes that Leon might have in the back with his speed and his patience that now seems to have come about in front of the goal. We're definitely going to need him next week for sure. But, I mean, I don't care about anything else that happened in this game today other than my boy Christian Torres scoring number 42. (laughs) I'm so stoked. I'm I'm a huge proponent of, you know, obviously the LAFC Academy. We want to see all of those young men do very well. But uh, obviously everyone knows my LAFC kids always have number 42 on the back. If you listen to the show, you know Jackie Robinson was my hero growing up. Um, and to see a player for LAFC rock number 42, I don't care if they're 15 or 35, I'm going to root for them. Um, and I'm so stoked to see Christian Torres get on the sheet today. Big things in the future for him. We hope he continues to put in the work and continues to progress and excel. You obviously don't want to place too much on the kid right now, but uh, you know him uh, paying homage to the man who broke the color barrier is certain something that uh, means a lot to me. And He's the breaker, El Rompedor, in my heart, and I'm glad to see him out there breaking the score sheet as well, too, and the rest of the game be darned for that, in my opinion, but curious to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, obviously, it's awesome to win. It's awesome to see his score, his goal, to see, you know, Vela get on the score sheet, uh, Reito with his third goal in three games. What I thought was kind of meaningful from this was there weren't a lot of subs. Like, you saw they only did a few subs, so really, most of these guys were playing the full 90. (laughs) Compare that to uh, the Peñarol game back, you know, just a few weeks ago, and they rolled through like several full lineups in the course of the 90 minutes. So this is really about now having, you know, getting the players in as good a shape as they can be for Leon next week. I think that's a good point. It it felt like a hockey game in Peñarol. Like right. line changes almost, but yeah, yeah like oh, who's that now? What's this? Who's right, that? everyone's scrambling with their like 
Well, and there was the very sheets. little announcement as to what who was who and who was coming on. I mean, I think right. like it took a moment before we even realized that the academy players were involved, and then yeah. like Phoenix Rising players literally coming right. in out of the sunset. We were like, "What is going on here?" You know, we didn't really have any of that in-game announcement or any of that going on as well, too. So today it was nice to see a little bit more of a, a traditional game of footy, yeah. so to speak. Definitely taking down the fight in Seamons three-one. Shout out Slim. <laughs> you know, great to see us. Uh, you know, put in a good effort. Three goals on the day happy with that yeah. uh you don't like seeing the concession of the one goal but you know given the rotation and that it's preseason and all that you can understand those things i mean it's toronto toronto was in the mls cup final right. last year so you know and this is basically the same team that they had then they're, they're, they're not a lot of changes there whereas lafc we have a almost completely different lineup in many ways right. i mean obviously some of the the old guard are still there but we've got a lot of new players out there on the pitch and to do that well is Pretty awesome. Well, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. I well, think. Before you jump into oh, that, yeah, I, 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 I looked up the <laughs> LAFC Spanish Twitter account and Poncho Ginella was talking and he was saying like, hey, you know, I just landed Monday and I'm playing today. And, you know, I, I really wanted to play. Like I've watched videos on the team. I understand the style, but there's a lot of nuanced things. So Bob, before the game, didn't give me a lot of instruction. He just kind of told me like, play loose, have fun, do your thing. Right. And to me, the fact that he played well and played basically the entire game. Um, Love to see it. Exactly. Like it, it's, it just means that he's very you know, smart, understands the game, obviously. But I think he understood his role and made himself available and stuck into some of these tackles where they weren't easily coming down the middle. So that looks good to me where he's going to you know, fight for that midfield spot. And same thing with Cifuentes. He played well. He was part of some of the, the goal that got Torres' goal. Um, he was kind of stuck in into that game on the right side. So I'm just excited that the fact that they just they just come in weeks without preparation. Just I know that they're fit, but they're they're good players without much instruction. Imagine once they're here for months. Well, and I'm sure they've probably been going over video and, you know, getting some coaching. I'm, I'm sure that it wasn't just like he showed up and, you know, had an orange slice and went out there to go kick it around with the boys. Like, I'm sure I'm sure there was probably a little more going on behind the scenes than that. But the fact that they've acclimated to the team so quickly and have big roles to play for us, both of those two are people that we expect to be getting the lion's share of minutes come the end of the season. Yeah. If we have any hopes of succeeding and finally surmounting that MLS Cup or any other tournament throughout the course of the year, their success is going to be paramount and essential to that. So really excited to see what we get from them. But my gosh, the squad is almost completely different from last time we recorded a show a week ago. Did you guys see there was a sub from Ghana, Quadwo Opoku? Yeah. I, I well, never I saw even that. heard the name ever. And he was playing for LAFC today. We did hear that, I mean, we heard rumors that there was another Ghanaian player that was going to be training with the team. There was somebody who was at, oh, I'm drawing a complete blank who it was that I saw that had posted on social media that there was another Ghanaian player that had been, you know, at the performance center and was training with the team, you know, auditioning for some kind of role. But I hadn't heard a name, but the fact that you know, this person got in the game. What was the name again? Can you give it for me? Quadwo Opoku. Yeah, I'm going to have to work on that one. Quadwo um, Opoku. Opoku is the last name? Yeah, O-P-O-K-U. Okay. So, uh, I mean, if they end up making the squad fantastic. At this point, I think um, the team has proven to us that anything could happen. Um, well, there's a trend, too. It seems like if we get one good player that hits, 
from that country, we get at, at least a second one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and this is what it seems I mean, like. and it helps if the guys know each other. Right. Well, to, yeah. the acclamation piece of it. Absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like, hey, I've been in LA for a year or two. This is how things roll. This is how the team is. Like, I think that makes it easier for the second person. Yeah, yeah. Latif yeah. can show him all the best chicken and rice spots. So, I mean, he's, yeah. he's lined in in that respect. Prior to the biggest change to the squad, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll, we'll back up and we'll go about a week back because some news broke almost immediately after us recording last week. Right. Um, and that was the injury to Dio, um, who has the broken bone in his foot. We hear it's going to be four to six weeks that he's sidelined. And then however long it takes him to reacclimate to fitness. Um, barring any kind of setbacks, that's a significant amount of time to be without a key striker. Um, and by all accounts, that caused the BWP signing to happen. So Bradley Wright Phillips, black and gold. This is within the landscape of MLS, a massive move. So before we get to to the big departure and the rumored incomings, I'm curious to what you guys think about Bradley Wright Phillips. I mean, he's like a, an MLS god in a way. And so to have him come here, there's very few names in MLS that you might know outside of the, from your own team. Like, it, but to, yeah. especially if you're sort of coming at it from you're not like, you know, engrossed in it, but you just sort of are, you're aware that it happens and you maybe watch a game or two a year. You've probably heard the name Bradley Wright Phillips, no. right? That's sure. what I mean by that. Not that he is a god, but that he's just a, he's a, he's a well-known player. He's been in the league for a long time. In a biblical sense, the father being Ian Wright, then then I could say that he could be, uh, you know, godly in the son form in that respect. So I will accept that as an Arsenal fan in me. But I mean, this is a guy who for years was Red Bull, right? That's where he played. Well, before Joseph and before Carlos, he was it. He had the record. He was the one that was putting 20 goals minimum a year. So I agree with you. He was at, you know, one of the talked about all time greats in terms of strikers in the league. And now... You know, because of form last year and, you know, fitness and being injured, he lost his spot, couldn't get it back. And then I did hear that despite that, he was showing up to training and helping those that took his spot still get better. Yeah, yeah. that's that's amazing to me. So, I know, he was here. We probably didn't need him at that point, And then Dio gets hurt. To me, the fact that he was invited one, obviously you don't get invited here unless there's something that you have to offer as a player to the team. Two... He was probably, I think, expensive for his age just because of, you know, his experience, but also like his pedigree. But now there's a need to hopefully the leverage was probably in his favor. But I I hope that, you know, he's going to be able to contribute, especially in these CONCACAF games. Having him to come off the bench last 10, 15 minutes, it's a strong striker being able to turn on anyone, basically. And obviously, we know his quality in the box to be able to finish. I I think it's a good move. it's going to give us a different look, too, uh, with teams that are uh, kind of bullying us. Uh, I think he's going to be strong, and we can play a little bit more direct with him in the, in the field. He's obviously a finisher. He's proven it throughout the course of his career. A centurion with the New Jersey energy drinks. I mean, he obviously has that ability. We know that uh, he's got the ability to pull out the bicycle kick from time to time. I'm right. rooting for that so hard to happen at some point in time this year. He's probably going to be that 70-minute substitution like Dio. Doesn't perhaps bring the same physicality or, you know, sort of bull in a china shop that Dio, you know, had that ability to just run right through people. Um, but I think 
Phillips is probably the better passer between the two of right. them um, yeah. and, and might be able to be a little bit more savvy uh, just based on his experience and his ability to both distribute and take that shot. So uh, a huge addition. Um, and hopefully his dad comes and hangs out with us in the third. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, Get out of here with that. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome as well, too. We'll see. Um, Life goals. Life goals. <laughs> but that's um, obviously the – positive energy wave of the Bradley Wright Phillips uh, certainly <laughs> broke on the shore and receded with the news that Walker Zimmerman. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Perez being out. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. No, very sad. Very sad. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, it's okay. That was hilarious. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Perez is gone. Um, no, we, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, the departure. A couple departures there, the biggest of which, the one that seems to have hit us all yeah. the hardest, uh, is the departure of Walker Zimmerman. Um, a legendary amount of money coming back, um, the largest amount of GAM ever traded within the MLS. Um, could be if performance incentives are hit over a million dollars, um, which is more than the, we would have got in general allocation, even if we'd have sold him to Europe for $10 million. because. Right. You know, if you sell a player for $20 million, you, you still only get a max, I think, of $750 right. um, that you could then use. So the fact that we got over a million is more actionable, Gam, than we would have got had we sold him somewhere else. We get an international roster spot. Potentially, there could be an allocation ranking spot involved with this trade as well, too. But more on that in a moment, I suppose. But, you know, first and foremost... Um, we would like to extend our thanks uh, to Walker and everything he did for this club. Uh, when I took Mandy to her very first game and we sat pitch side, um, he was the only player that came over and spoke to us and talked directly to Mandy. And that was uh, obviously a very, very powerful and touching moment for her and I. And so, you know, and, and that was the game in which he had scored the game winner um, and certainly probably had an army of media waiting to speak to him. And he still took the time to come over uh, and speak to us. And uh, that is just exactly who he was as a person. Um, and I think this this definitely hit much, much harder than the Perez departure um, for all of us within the of community. Um, it's a big blow to our immediate squad and the performance we might see. I think all of us expected him to be in the starting 11 in Leon, despite right. uh, his national team. Sure, there's some conversation about his performance throughout the end of last season we can touch on here. I'm sure. curious to hear your thoughts. Um, but obviously, first and foremost, thank you, Walker. You will always be black and gold to me. Dude's a beast. Yes. He's a beast. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things where when he was in the back line, you you felt like, okay, you know, he, we, we, we got this. I mean, yeah, we could talk about his performance the latter half of last season, but, you know, being one of the original black and gold and – like exactly what we described, like that resonated through. It wasn't just about what he did on the pitch. It was about what he did off. And um, I think Nashville got a real gem. They got a real gem and they paid, they paid a pretty penny for it. And we, you know, stand to benefit financially from that. But yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a real hit to, to the, to the squad and for the community because there, it wasn't just a player. It wasn't just one of the guys on the team. It was someone that people felt emotionally connected to. Yeah. yeah. It was a fellow podcast podcasting host yeah, he was as that's well right too. he was yeah. yes and he was also an assistant coach at ucla i did a lot of work in the community you know lived in the beach and i know that's something that he really appreciated out of la um like you said a linchpin in the back line like if he's in the lineup there's a sense of security and to think that he's only what 26 
he's our most experienced defender too. Like, I understand that we have this next generation, Blackman, and some of the other players that are coming into their fold, but they're only 22, 23, so um, they haven't seen as much as he has. He's been to international games for the national team. Um, he's starting to break into that. So there's there's a lot of positive uh, things that he brought to the field as well. So um, I'm also not – I wasn't I – I didn't know how to take it. I went through like a, a round of emotions yesterday because I, I remember seeing this like at 6 in the morning when I woke up. I don't know why I looked at Twitter. I usually don't. And then I see like Paul Tenorio. I'm like, why do I follow you? And why is this about Walker? And um, he breaks good news. So I wasn't happy about it. But the more I thought about it in terms of the roster and the cap space that he creates, if you really think about it, not only is it, I think, 650 this year, so you could buy down a player if we do purchase one. We also take his salary, which as of last year was $600,000 a year. So that's like 1.2 million of cap space that you can have available, plus an international spot. So that can be, you know, two really good players, one amazing player, almost a DP caliber, could be three like roster players. Um, and then we get 350 next year guaranteed to buy down on GAM. So there's there's a lot of um, cap space that we're getting. And like to your point, we're getting more than we would have even if we sold them at 5, 10 million internationally. So I understand the move. Um, I understand the, the position the GM was put in, and it's it's not offers like this are not going to come by often. So it's almost you you have to do it because you feel confident in your scouting that you'll be able to find another way to fill those roles. So his loss within the community, we know how that will be felt, but let's transition to his loss tactically. So we know that. You know, he was obviously one of our main aerial threats offensively, uh, and then certainly his defensive prowess as well, too. So I'm curious, gentlemen, how do you think we are going to line up in his absence? Who immediately takes that place? And how does this tactically change our offense and our defense? I don't know. Well, <laughs> my, my thoughts are Blackman's probably going to step into that role. He was a yeah. center back and we, we we turned him into a right back to compete with Betashore. You don't we, think that Djokovic getting all these minutes so far in preseason doesn't mean that the club sees him as being someone who can take over that role at center back and we keep Blackman in his preferred right back position? I think that can be an option. I mean, if I were Bob, I would prefer Segura and Blackman over Segura and Djokovic and then Blackman on the right. Um, it also depends on who we play. If we play with or against a team that has a very physical, tall striker, then yeah, Djakovic in there over Blackman. Um, if it's a more 4-3-3, where it's a more dynamic front three on the opposing team, I think I prefer Blackman and then having Latif or another signing that may come in on the right. Um, so that's the way I see it. We also saw Harvey at center back right. today as yeah. well too. Do you think that's a viable option or an emergency option? It's... It's a viable option. It, was, it would be the same thing. I wouldn't bring him in unless it's a non-physical, like, striking squad on the other side. I mean, I would expect, I mean, where last season started for the first couple of months, it was always Segura Zimmerman. Segura right. Zimmerman. Like, that was just, like, you, you could knew lock that, that it was your Miller in goal, Segura Zimmerman. Right. I, I would think that, you know, we'll have Vermeer in goal based on what I've seen of him. I agree. Um, and frankly, I think part of the reason I think Zimmerman 
it makes some sense for him going is because Vermeer, I think, really gives something to our back line that we kind of haven't experienced or seen yet. And that may really help with a lot of these younger players. But I would expect as far as the back line to see a little bit of tweaking, kind of that helicoptering we've seen on the front line. Wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of that just in terms of where people are starting. Not necessarily that they'll move throughout the game, but that we'll probably see some different back lines over the next few weeks as Bob kind of tinkers with it a little bit and figures out who fits the best where. That's a really good point. Yeah, You touched on a really good point that the experience of Vermeer, his communication and leadership, um, you know, that venerable presence back there almost allows you to have some slightly younger people in front of him if he's going to be the communicator, the person out there that's that's kind of calling the shots. Um, That almost allows us to go with, you know, that that proposed back line where 23 would be, you know, the oldest person in the back four of a story. Can you believe that? Unless Djokovic is in there (laughs) and Harvey. (laughs) Then it's like 30-something and 30-something. But still, like, I mean, the preference, obviously, with the club is the younger, the better, right? Um, 23 is almost like you're the veteran of that younger class. 23 is the new 27, is that what you're saying? I guess. I mean, it's what it seems like. Um, like, imagine the players we're getting, like 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Like, we got 15-year-olds scoring goals today. Right, I mean, exactly. Shoot, let's just put, put the academy out there. Yeah. We'll crush them. Careful. Uh, do, you think, uh, <laughs> do you think that money um, that we have acquired slash saved in Zimmerman's departure goes into another center back? Or do we already have that portion of our squad worked out? Honestly, I'm more interested in like a right back with whatever, you know, beta sure not there. You know, I want to I have seen, you know, we've all seen these first few years. The club's spent a lot on its front, on its forwards and not as and and some on its mids. But then the back line, I mean, yes, Walker um, and, you know, they they sprung for uh, for uh, Cheeky, which is great. But like. Mm -hmm. That to me has always been the the part of the of the overall team where I want to see a little more, a little more resources going into that because as much as we can press and we can score, when teams come up with the counter, I, I want to know that like we're okay, right? I mean, there's there's been rumors um, from <laughs> Anderlecht and the Belgium side. Um, he's I guess Honduran American, but he's played for the na- the national team in Honduras, and uh, Nahal is one of the things that's in the conversation. And uh, I know before we started recording, Luke, you brought an interesting point in terms of the order of, uh, I guess, rights or allocation to this player if he were to join the league. And, you know, we've there's confirmed rumors that he is training in L.A. and with LAFC. So can you tell us about what you've heard in terms of well, this is because I listened to the to the LAFC podcast family. Of course. Shout out and, Pop Fan. And Jerry and Joseph were talking about it a couple nights ago. And it was funny because I was listening to their podcast the day after they, rec- they recorded it Monday night. I'm listening to it Tuesday when we got the news about Walker, but they didn't know that on Monday night. So they're talking about this um, – this queue or whatever well, I'm trying to think what it's called exactly, but you know the who team preferential order of who what teams can get certain players first. The what are acquisition rankings? The acquisition yeah. ranking, yeah. yeah. And LAFC are way all, all the way down to 24, and lo and behold, uh, the team at number one is Nashville. So right. Nashville has the opportunity to to has first rights to a number of players um, this season that. Any other team wants him would have to find a way to, you know, they'd have to have every other team in front of them say no. And 
potentially what I was thinking as they were talking about this was what did we, you know, as part of this deal, did LAFC grab that that right from Nashville for uh, I think his name's Najar. Najar? Oh yeah. Nah, Nahar Najar. N A J J A R, I believe. Okay. It is. Yeah. So I think we can inference that this is part of the deal. That I mean that's at least my position. It makes sense. We get an international spot. He grew up in the DC area, but he's playing for Honduras. Yeah. We don't know what his status is he has in a terms green card. of so he's a green card. Yeah. So we did just get two midfielders that are South American. Do we need another international spot? Probably. Yeah. I, I don't think they have green cards, right? Not yet. So it could be like we get a way to get them on the roster, additional ways to buy down salaries to maybe pay them. We don't know what their salaries are. And then we have a potential right back, which is something that we're missing in terms of depth. So it could be in a couple of weeks we're looking back at this and saying, hey, this was a stroke of genius. We got almost everything that we needed, even though we had to part with our backline linchpin. But we think we have the resources to kind of fill that gap in the meantime. It, yeah. did, it did sound listening – or uh, there was an article on MLSsoccer.com where they, they interviewed Thornton. And it, it sounded based on what he was saying, like this was something the club wasn't really expecting to happen with losing Zimmerman. Right. But that there was this moment when they just had to decide and go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was actually a Spanish interview. Yeah. His Spanish is pretty good. Um, Better than mine. Thorington. And he was saying the same thing you just said, saying like, hey, you know, it's sometimes it's business and sometimes it's personal. This time it was both. And he's a linchpin in the community as well as the team. And we weren't expecting this to happen, but the offer was very good and we had to act on it. And we had conversations with him as it was happening uh, to make sure that he was aware that this was a possibility and it ended up happening. I think, you know, you look at all of the things we're getting back from Nashville and ultimately it was an offer we couldn't refuse. Um, but we do know that right back, well, we have a lot of people coming in in our midfield as far as signing. So that could push Latif to right back. We've seen him get a lot of minutes there in preseason. He's performed there well so far in preseason. He's performed well there in the past. Uh, and allegedly we could have, uh, you know, Najal coming in as well too to, to fill that right back position. So it does seem like right back has been addressed. Um, going into the offseason, our two biggest concerns were, are we going to lose people? And then what's going to happen at keeper at right back? And it seems like keeper and right back have, um, you know, those have been addressed. Um, I think people are going to probably want another center back. Uh, and now we have the financial wherewithal to go and make that happen. Yeah. So um, a lot of interesting things playing around. Um, we do want to touch real quick. Obviously, international duty is over. Um, so we are going to be getting back from Uruguay. Um, well, we know Ginella was already there uh, today, played. Rossi should be heading back as well, too. And from Colombia, we should be getting Atuesta and Segura back as well, too. So they should both be back with the club whether they're going to get back in time to actually see the pitch in Leon, uh, we shall see. Yes. Um, but I do think there's a <laughs> definite first, possibility <laughs> that, um, you know, they are back um, in first squad uh, for our game next week, which I am so ecstatic about. Um, finally, I found my passport. Whew, all right, we're good. Uh, I figured <laughs> out what box I had packed <laughs> oh, it in right. uh, for the move soon. last week, and I was able to uh, feverishly figure out where my passport is at. And I am ready to go. So I'm excited to be down there. I'm going to try and get some sound for the show while I'm down there. Um, so 
if I'm able to post to social media, I'll try and do as many pics or photos or videos, whatever it is that I can get um, outside of the game. Obviously, during the game, I have a job to do, and it requires me not being on my phone and yelling my lungs out. But to everyone going down there, we know that the club has reported that something like 700 tickets have been sold to wow. LAFC fans so wow. far. Um, that is an insane amount of people to be traveling to. And you know they're not going to be sitting on their hands at the match. Nope, nope. Um, you know, <laughs> to awesome. be a mile high up and that far south of the border, to bring that many people down there is is really going to be an impressive feat. We hope everyone has a blast that's going to be joining us down there. Um, we do remind everyone to be safe if you're heading to Leon. Uh, they do not treat supporter culture the same way we do here. Uh, you got to worry about far more than your styrofoam cooler if you're down there. Um, it could get ugly and it could get ugly quick if you are not smart about it. So the same precautions that the club has released, we would like to reiterate, uh, don't wear supporter gear, scarves, hats, LAFC stuff around town. Travel in numbers. Don't put yourself in awkward situations, uh, especially being that high up in altitude. Make sure you avoid altitude sickness by drinking lots of water starting about three days before you fly out. Uh, and definitely make sure you contain your drinking to a recreational amount while you're there. Um, <laughs> don't put yourself in a situation where your own actions uh, could jeopardize your own safety and security. And first and foremost, brush up on your chants and make sure that every single one of you is ready to sing your lungs out and we can show them what I want. They 90 plus is like MLS style. So that's what I'm rooting for. Um, are you guys heading down to Mexico? No, not going to be going. Couldn't couldn't make the trip, but we're definitely going to the match on the 27th and can't wait. Well, we've we got lots of watch parties going down, so do pay attention to social media. Uh, there will be tons of stuff going on here in the community. So if you're not able to join us down there in Leon, please make sure you're out there uh, supporting us in whichever one of the many venues that are going to be hosting watch parties. Um, I know LAO's got one going on. I know Pride Republic's going on. Uh, I know D9U has about five different watch parties going on in different parts of LA as well, too. So um, please come out, support the community. It's definitely going to be arguably the most important game in our history up until this point. Um, so a real, real big one for us. Um, unless we have anything else you guys wanted to touch on going on in the community at this point, I wanted to go ahead and transition to our guest who's been so kind to join us today. Luke, thank you so much for making the trip out. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. You guys. have like such a perfect voice for this as well, too. Like <laughs> sometimes we have to coach people like, hey, you know, try and speak up, be gregarious. You got it, man. It's yeah. on. Y'all, I was listening to the podcast with Mo from last week and I was like, I just want to listen to this guy talk and yes. like just put me to sleep. Like it was so comforting. I was, I was very comforted. He's a very, very good uh, storyteller. He is. Oh, he's yes. got a cuddly voice, Mo. We love him. Uh, I know he wouldn't mind us saying that. Um, so uh, real curious, um, before we get into your LAFC story, to hear about your experience to the beautiful game prior to becoming an LAFC supporter. You know, I I, I, when you, I knew that y'all were going to ask me that, and I was trying to think, like, okay, when did I first like get interested or excited about soccer? And, well, I, now I, I, I feel weird calling it soccer, actually. But, yeah. but yeah, it was... I was a kid, and like many, as many kids do, played soccer. I mean, yeah. it was just one of the things that like we did in my you know, at my grade school. And, Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up mostly in the Detroit metropolitan area. Nice. So uh, a little town called Ferndale, and then Royal Oak. They were suburbs of Detroit. You know, and soccer wasn't like the big sport or anything, but it was relatively easy to do because you just get a ball and 
make put a couple cones down and you kick around the ball, right? Yep. I mean, it's, it's one of the easiest things to do of any sport. Um, and you know, I, I played a couple years in grade school, and then I just kind of wasn't it, it. It didn't really sit well. I just didn't it wasn't like my thing, right? Like I, I I gravitated toward individual sports, so I started playing tennis, um, and I played that through high school. Um, but when I was in high school, uh, my sister um, got married and she married a Dutch man and they got married on the day that the Netherlands was playing Brazil oh. in the 1994 World Cup. So we had like 50 people from the Netherlands in Ypsilanti, Michigan in this like little boathouse thing and Everyone did not care. Well, I mean, they cared about the wedding. They were all there for it. But they were all like wearing orange and we had a TV on and everyone was glued to it as yep. the Netherlands lost to Brazil and they were just devastated. And it made it was a strange thing where like we're all happy for my sister <laughs> and her husband who just got married minutes before. And then also everyone's really sad because the Netherlands lost to Brazil. And isn't that just so sad? So. But I, that was the first time that it was not like, oh, a game that you just like play with some friends or, you know, play for your your school, but actually like seeing, you know, international football. They couldn't postpone move of the wedding day? No. <laughs> I mean, like once you figured out, like, sorry, guys, we got football I, well, here. It, I think it was just one of those things where it just ended up happening that way. Like they had figured out they were going to get married on this date months and months and months before. And of course they knew that, yeah. you know, there was the possibility there might be some issues, but then literally it ended up happening at the exact same time. But the funny so. thing to me is like those pictures must have been amazing. Oh, I mean, people are <laughs> glued crying, to the TV. Like, Everyone was so emotional in these wedding photos. Everyone's crying. Like, it's such a beautiful service. Well, actually, mostly, mostly, I, mean, I was actually looking at some photos recently. I was like, people look kind of sad. And why? Yeah. Why looks like, you know, it's a happy occasion. But there are a few people that just like, not everyone. I mean, obviously, a number of people are like, they don't care. Yeah. Right. But, but, you know, soccer is a very different thing in the Netherlands than it is in the United States. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Oh, they brought um, up weddings, and I totally forgot. My brother and my sister both got engaged in the last week, and I promised I'd give them shout-outs on the show. Oh, of course. Uh, so congratulations, Jennifer, uh, and congratulations, Martin. My little brother's out living in China, so he's um, on – you know, I mean, he's he can't leave his house right now, right, because everyone's everyone's inside for the next two weeks. Um, so he and his girlfriend have been locked inside, and lo and behold, they got engaged. So, uh, you nice. know, I mean, uh, nice. find loving the to time do, I of coronavirus, I guess, you know? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, sort of is what it is. But anyway, I, I completely forgot. I promised I'd give no, it a that's fine. That's fine. Um, and then, like, four years later, I actually – so I'm in college, and, like, the World Cup was happening over the summer, and I was uh, I was living on campus because I was doing some stuff there. I was work, had a job there and, like, just had – time to go watch the world cup like i just had the time to do it so i did and i was i just totally totally got into it and of course the u.s um didn't do so great that year but you know we had like casey keller um i think it was here we had brian mcbride yep. you know you know some of the like what i now think of as like the og yeah. american Hello. you know players back when and we had hope. mls yeah. had just been around for a couple years at that point and i got so into it and i was like oh i'm gonna watch like I want to watch an MLS and see like what it's like. And it was the saddest thing to watch an MLS game because all you could hear was like an air horn. You know, so one person, one dude off in the background, like, and it's the saddest, you know, and then you see like 10 people in the crowd. You're like, what is this crap? Like, this is terrible. Yeah, so, you know, I, as I was excited by soccer, but at the same time, I was like, oh, we're not really doing it great here. Right. Like there's something's not really, there's, there's like a, a, a disconnect. Right. 
And the interesting thing too was during that time we did have some stellar players here, but the teams weren't good. Right. It's just, it, it's just I don't know, like to your point, there was this disconnect. Like there was a hunger for it, but I think it was just in stadiums that were too big for the growth at that point for the sport here. So like a few years after that, I um, I befriended a guy when I was living in San Francisco who then went on to move to D.C. and he became this huge D.C. United fan. And D.C. was like rocking it out in the early aughts. They were just like they were playing at RFK which again, like you said, this massive stadium, but like I watched a few of their matches and I could see this like whole supporter section and they're jumping up and down and like this, this, the, the, like they're, they're shaking, like the stands are shaking because it's this old school stadium that's not designed for people to be doing this, right. that they're doing. And like, I have this friend who's gay, who's super into this thing. He's like, oh yeah, it's the best thing ever. And I was like, huh, what's that about? Like, so it kind of, it kind of was the first time that I made this like connection between you know, someone who felt very supported as a gay man in soccer supporter culture uh, in D.C. And it kind of made me curious about it, more interested in it. Huh. So how did your life transition from growing up in Detroit to living in California? Uh, was there a professional <laughs> decision behind that? Was it a personal decision Have you been to that? Detroit? <laughs> no, like, no. I actually – what's Brown funny is – What's funny – no, 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 no. no. Uh, what's funny is actually – uh, I now have some shirts and stuff from the Detroit Football Club. I think it's a USL team, and yes. like they do great stuff on their on their branded great support, gear. Yeah, and they've got like a whole supporters culture, which I had no idea even existed. Well, I don't think it did exist when I lived there. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Michigan, uh, and you know, it's cool. In the winter, it's cold. In the summer, I, I love thunderstorms. I miss thunderstorms. Like, but when I graduated from college, I was like, I need to get to a big city. Like I just need – like Detroit's not a big city in the same way that like a New York or a Chicago or an LA or San Francisco or whatever is. It's it's mostly like a collection of suburbs and it's changing. It's definitely been changing uh, in the last 10, 15 years and that's been great to see. But um, I needed out when I was there. And so I ended up moving to San Francisco where my older brother lived at the time. Still lives there. Um, and, you know, made a home for myself there. What for, part of the city? I lived in the Castro, of oh, course, as yeah. all the gays do, yeah. obviously. <laughs> That's the also, only place we live. <laughs> also got the best Mexican food of any place in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I, well, I, admission. The very first – what's funny you should say that is like I first moved to, to San Francisco and like my only experience in Mexican food was Taco Bell, right? Like that was, you know, that was it. That was Taco Bell. I would get the, the, the soft tacos. I love the soft tacos at Taco Bell and put a bunch of hot sauce in them. It was great. I was, I was in my little heaven. And I go to San Francisco – and like I go into um, you know a burrito place, and I was like, "What is this? Like, what are all these things? Like, I don't know what any of these things are." <laughs> so you know, I was super confused. And I remember like the first time I ordered like food, when my my I had this friend uh, who was helping introduce me to this stuff, and he's like, "Oh, my little huerito. because <laughs> I, like, I was so afraid. I was like, "Chicken and rice. Like, I, that's about all I can do. Maybe put some cheese on it." And now I'm just like, "Whatever." Like my my husband and I, we. Every we have our little date night tradition. Every week we go out to this Mexican restaurant that we just adore. Shout out! What's the spot? El Condor right. in Silver Lake, and yeah. they know us. Oh, nice! <laughs> they, they know us. We we take friends pretty often, and then the, and the friends are always like, "Why are people high fiving you? Like, why <laughs> why are they like, hey, you know, great to see you guys? Like, but that's just because we love going there, and and so like for me now that that's like my favorite food is Mexican food. Like, and I. Like the more the more authentic the better. Like I just 
love it. I can't get enough. But it was that's clearly like I have transitioned from being a Michigan kid to being a California boy. Uh, so what brought you from San Francisco to Los Angeles? This guy right over here. Shout out. Shout out to my husband. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, – so I was living in San Francisco. I lived there for about 10 years. And – and uh, about a year and a half before I moved to LA, I was on a I was on a social networking site, and he says hi to me, and it had suggested like the site was like you know would like suggest like maybe you should know this person. It had suggested to him that maybe he should know me, and I looked at his profile, and I was like, okay, it doesn't say he's in what city he's in, but he's in California. If it had said LA, I was one of those San Franciscans who was like, no, right, no, not no LA. I know some of those. Oh yeah, I was uh, right here. Yep. That was that was me, and uh, so we started chatting. And a few days later, I was like, "Hey, let's get some coffee." And he was like, "Well, that'd be tough because I'm in LA." I was like, "How oh, darn it, you know?" Uh, I'm keeping it PG for the kids here. Yeah. But regardless, I thought, you know what? I like this guy. Let's let's see what's let's see what's up. It's a quick and flight. About a month later, he came to visit for a weekend, and a few weeks after that, he came back, and a few weeks after that, he came back again. True story. Wow. Three weekends wow. over Three a month and a half. Three trips up before yes. you made any before, one before I was willing to brave Southern California's blazing heat. Uh, you know, it's funny. The San Franciscans complain a lot about how hot LA is, but they get like one 75 degree day and it's like your Instagram feed just blows up with like, oh my God, I live in the best city ever. I'm like, yeah, that's because the rest of the time it's 60 and foggy and you're freezing. But, you know, whatever. It's nice. From like noon to three is nice, <laughs> though. You know, I mean, as long as you just don't go out before noon or after three. But right, I mean, right. I had been to L.A. a few times before that and I had done like I had done it all wrong. Like there was one time where I was like evening. I, I had to get to West Hollywood and I was in Santa Monica. So I got on like Santa Monica Boulevard and it took me like two hours. And I was like, why Oof. do people do this? Why do they do this? This is misery. And I had just decided like this is all that L.A. is. And he showed me a very different side. I not one of my it was in my second or third visit down here. He's like, let's go on a cupcake tour. And he had literally put together maps of like all these cupcake places all over LA and we ate we ate our way through. That sounds awesome. adorable. I'm still that idea. People to take way. me on cupcake <laughs> tours. If you could share the map, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. yeah, so a year and a half of dating long distance and I decided to to make the big the big leap. And so I moved down here and after I, uh, about, I don't know, was it a couple years, I proposed to him. We bought a home. We got married. Wow. We have two dogs. And as of next week, it will be? Six years since we got married. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. we got married in our backyard in the middle of February, and it was 80 degrees that day, and it was when the polar vortex was hitting the rest of the country. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I think Boston had like eight feet of snow, and Chicago was like 20 degrees below zero. And we had a bunch of friends from the Midwest who came in, and they were like, why do you have heat lamps at your wedding? It's so hot. And we were like, no, it's not. It's going to get down to 60 tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be chilly. I'll have to put my coat on. I remember the pictures of people throwing boiling water out their window, and it turned to snow before it hit the ground. Oh, yeah. and, That's right. You know, oh, yeah. we were going to the beach. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, well, congratulations. So Thank throughout you. the course of that time when you were in San Francisco, uh, did you ever think about becoming – an Earthquakes fan? Did you ever go to any MLS no. games there? Was no. football involved? No, in your actually, life in any one way? of the things I was excited about, believe it or not, when I was moving to LA was, oh, I'll finally be in a city where they have MLS. Because you don't, you don't go. I mean, yeah, no, I understand that like the 49ers play in Santa Clara, 
But I like to joke with my San Francisco friends who are 49ers fans, like, oh, you like the Santa Clara 49ers? Because that's 50 miles away from San Francisco. It's right? a long drive. Five zero. Like, that is not in San Francisco. So, like, when you're in San Francisco, and I didn't, I was one of the typical San Francisco, didn't have a car. You're not going to go to San Jose. You're not going to, and, and, and certainly not to watch a Quakes game. I went to, like, nearby there to go watch a Madonna concert once. But, like, you know, I didn't, I, I was intrigued by the Quakes. But it wasn't like something I would go to. Right? What I don't understand is like there's great public transportation in the Bay Area and San Jose has always been like, nah, we don't want that. Like, <laughs> you know, like every other part of the Bay. That's like, changing. They're getting yeah, a, they're they're getting a BART extension, fine, which finally, is going to yeah. be awesome for yeah. them. I still think Avaya Stadium is kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's it's not going to so be like on, on the, the new BART line. Side of the, You're still going to yeah, have no, to no. take a yeah. bus from the yeah. new BART line. It's next to the airport. It's awkward. Right. Behind the airport. It's like it's not even in a convenient location to the airport. It is a decent looking stadium, though. Once you get there right right but it's it's not easy to get there yeah we yeah, should i'm looking forward to going there in may we'll yeah. be there with yeah. my uh my brother and his I'll wife and my mom I'll we're celebrating there. mother's day taking her out to the lafc match well we're gonna have to use our norcal connections in order to get tickets because that's know what we heard, did but yeah. they're not going to sell <laughs> tickets to anyone with a yeah. southern california address i mean i think it was a little blown out of proportion i think they actually do have tickets well i still think we're going to take that place over just of like course. we did last it's time a home it's going to be pretty fun so how does LAFC come into your life once you transitioned here to Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, so like I said, I was like excited to like go to an LA soccer match like MLS. And like literally I'd been here just a month or two and we and it's like, let's let's go. Like the and the Galaxy were playing on like a Friday night. And so, you know, my husband and I and a couple of our friends are like, what we're all gonna go. We pile into a car like an hour before the match is supposed to start in Hollywood. We're in Hollywood and we walked into the stadium in the 60th minute. Wow. Right? Like, and we went as fast as we could go. And I was like, holy heck, I am never doing this again. Right? Like, that. this is not happening ever again. Um, and they because I had bought the tickets, they had my information. So they kept calling me and being like, Luke, you want to, like, get a ticket package? And I was like, are any of those tickets on a night other than a Saturday? Because the answer is no. Um and we did end up going a few times. And usually what I would do is like try to get a bunch of friends to go. And so then like they had like a, a pride night, right? And I was super excited about that because I thought, oh, that's really cool. Like they're going to do a whole a whole pride thing. So we got like a group of friends together and we – and and I had to say like it was cool to go. But it it just felt like, oh, we have some rainbows on some things and that's cool. And I didn't get what like the I, you know, obviously the supporter sections, but I was like, why are there two? Why is there one over there? And why is there one like, oh, maybe it's just so they can echo each other. Like I couldn't really I didn't really get it. They didn't really seem super loud. They they had chance every so often. The stadium was, you know, only like two thirds full. It was great seeing Robbie, uh, Robbie Rogers. Oh, Robbie Rogers. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, like, yeah. like that on pride night, like to me, that was like, this is really special. Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't really feel like we're super welcome here. It was sort of a strange, like, does everyone know this is pride night? <laughs> like, does every, is everyone in on this or are we just sort of like, you know, expected to know because we got the, the email about it and maybe not everyone else is aware. Um, so I, I, I would say I didn't really ever have a whole lot of interest in it after that. It was just kind of, it was hard to get to, um, there wasn't like a lot of like great fan experience. There was, there certainly was no tailgating experience. Like that was a whole whatever. Um, 
And I didn't really particularly feel like they cared. Like they would send a survey to me every so often, like, what do you, you know, and, and like, I would say, well, you know, find a way for me to get there more easily or make it more interesting when I'm there or something. And it would just, it was the same thing year after year. So, you know, LAFC comes along and they showed like a rendering of the stadium that they wanted to build. So how did you first hear about LAFC? How did you, how did that even cross your radar? It was on some like local website. Maybe it was LAist or something. Mm -hmm. It was some random thing. And I knew that something was happening because I I was following in the news where um, Chivas had, you know, gone under and their rights had been bought. And so there was something that was going to happen. So I was curious. I was curious what was going to happen. And then, so I see this announcement and like the, like, their idea of where they want to, what they want to do with the stadium, which is essentially what they ended up building, right? Like, and exactly where they wanted to build it. I'm not sure that all of those things were necessarily going to happen at the time they made the announcement, but you know, this announcement and I just thought, oh my gosh, like they get it. Like you want a stadium in the middle of the city and they're literally embracing the city with the design they've put forward, which, which showcases the city in the design of the building. Like, this is brilliant. So it it wasn't even just that it was a beautiful stadium or a great location, but what it signaled about what they felt their place was in that, that I thought, oh, this is really, really cool. And there was a thing where you could sign up to get information. And so I, I did. And then they sent out an email like, join as a member, it's $50. So I sent my, I sent my husband an email saying, should we do this? And he's always the person who's like, yes, of course. <laughs> so, so we did, right? And I and I think we have a membership in like the low hundreds. Like we're not one of the OG OGs, but we're definitely not, you know, like today it's like, I don't know, we're 30, 40,000, whatever the number is. It's some incredible number. And that like opened sometimes. the doors. I, I think we forget us. exactly like how much bravado it took from the club originally to come out and say, like, we're doing this, we're doing this in the heart of Los Angeles, heart of the city, like, we're going to make this happen. I mean, they committed to all those things long before we knew they were going to deliver. And I remember a lot of the conversation around that time being like, is this all talk? The sports arena was still there when they were saying this. You're like, "Uh, okay, I see drawings, I see, you know, enthusiasm. When is this going to be signed and... You know, when is this going to be a thing where we're actually destroying this this historic and, monument? And just so we're clear, like, you know, we have we are season ticket holders now, first season, second season, going into the third. We only ever got season tickets for USC one year because he went to USC, and that was it. Like, we're not. This isn't like a thing we do, right? Like, so we put in the fifty bucks to join, and then there were these things like they had an event at Union Station to unveil the crest. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I was at the time working near Union Station, and I was in Union Station earlier before, that day and saw a sticker with the crest, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. What is this? And then when I realized what it was, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait. Like, I was so excited. Um, but they just had this really thoughtful, I would say brilliant way of just sort of pulling us in, right? Like, okay, we're going to do this other thing, and we're going to do this other thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And at some point, we're like forking out big money to get season tickets because why wouldn't we? So what was your initial first season like? And how did you being interested and then fascinated with this team transition into, you know, becoming a ravenous supporter and then eventually joining with a supporters group? Well, so obviously, you know, they started their first season playing, what, five away games? Six. Six. Mm -hmm. Six away games, right? So I... I was excited. Like, I, I remember, you know, I, I 
iron my clothes for the next week at home. And like, I turned on the TV once and like they were playing and I, was, I think it was Montreal. And it's like, Oh, look, that's the team. Like, you know, I knew that they were going to be playing and I just didn't know like that that was literally the time they were playing on then. And, and I thought, Oh, well, I, w- I wonder if there's like a place that I can watch this with other fans of the game. Like I had no idea. I didn't know that watch parties were the thing that they have become or were before. Um, you know, obviously it sounds a little bit like I'm sort of tripping into these things, but I genuinely didn't know. And then I discovered on Twitter, Pride Republic. And I was like, what? Like there's a LGBT fan group? Like that just blew my mind. It blew my mind. I was like, who are these people? Like they're like they're using, they're branding themselves within the identity of being LGBT and supporters of this club. And I was like, this is great. Like, I want to know more. And I was actually, there was a, they were doing a watch party for the match right before the first home match. And I couldn't, I think it was that, that's when it was. And I couldn't be there. And I was so bummed because I really, really wanted to like go out and meet these other folks and, and like feel like I was a part of something. And then we had our first home match and there were all sorts of things that happened with our ticket, which is another podcast. Um, (laughs) But that's all been resolved. But, uh, but like you, you may remember there was the chant. Yes. Oh, yes, we do. Right. And I knew what was going on because I was already aware enough with soccer culture to know, like, what this was. And I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified. And I went from feeling – I mean, this had been years building up, right? Like, I was telling you, like, we became members in 2015. We were still going to all these events. There was all this stuff going on. And then, like, we, we went to the Experience Center. We got to see – like, there was all this stuff that was building up, building up for years, and now we have the first home game and it is so exciting. Everyone's so excited. And I suddenly feel like crap, like total and complete crap. Like, oh my gosh, how can you do this? How can you turn this incredibly unique, special, one of a life, once in a lifetime experience into something to be cruel to other people in this way? And it felt very personal. So immediately after that match, I was, I remember saying to my husband, I was like, I don't know if I ever want to come back. Like, and we had season tickets and I just felt like this is not a place, this is not something I ever want to experience again, ever. Like, why did we put out all this money to be, have people like using these words in such a terrible, awful way that is so painful. And I, and I knew just based on looking around the crowd, like there were other LGBT fans in the crowd and how do they feel? Like, right. I, you know, I've been, I've, I've been called all kinds of things in my life growing up and and even as an adult. And I kind of gotten used to letting it roll off my back, but I don't know about other people, like how they felt. So I sent like a, I, th- I think I tweeted about it or I don't know what, like I sent a message to Pride Republic. I still didn't know who these people were. You know, I was like, what is going on? And they were like immediately on top of there. Like, we are working on it. Don't worry about it. We're you know, not, not don't worry about it, but like we're, we're, we're working on it. And the very next match was before the match, they had like a video, right? They did this whole little video thing where it was like, it was all the team, all the players, including Walker and Laurent Simon mm-hmm. and Jordan Harvey and Tyler Miller and Vela, of course, all saying like, you know, everyone's welcome here. And then they had Laurent as the captain, Tom Penn and the president of 3252 and the president of Pride Republic all on the field. And they all made statements about why we were not going to do this, why this was ending tonight, 
and it was never coming back. And they had like rainbow flags on the field and it didn't, the chant didn't happen that night. And I remember thinking, okay, that was one game. That was one game. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Because if this is something that people were bringing to the game on the very first home match, like how do we know it's not going to come back? And then the next match at home, they had the rainbow flags back out there. And I was like, huh, okay. And they had the, the ad playing again, you know, this everyone's welcome. And it didn't come back. And they literally, it just week after week, they kept bringing the rainbow flags out there. And, you know, on occasion, we'd bring some friends or whatever, different matches. And they were like, oh, look, there's rainbow flags out there. That's pretty cool. Like, that's really awesome that the team's doing that. And it, sure enough, the chant never came back until, of course, as we know, the playoff Our, game against ourself. Real Salt Lake, yeah. um, where all sorts of stuff happened. Yeah. Not just the chant. Yeah. But it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I, I left that one thinking, what's happening? And we don't know for sure if that chant came from actual LAFC fans sure. or whether it was started by people who were planted within the stadium in order to attempt to sort of denigrate the, the culture that we had been building at that point in time. It certainly didn't come from the north end that right. night. I mean, I can attest to, to that. And we sit in the our, – our season tickets are in the southwest corner. Mm -hmm. So like – Oh, me too. Excellent. Yes. So, you know, and, and we very intentionally like pick, sought out that, that's, that location and that section for all, all sorts of reasons I won't get into. But so right along the south end is where we, where we certainly know that a lot of that chant was coming from. Yeah, it yeah. was. Um, I think part of it was, too, the team was new. And at that point, they made the playoffs. And it was the first playoff game. There was a lot of people that didn't attend a lot of the games throughout the season. Right. So they, they probably weren't, weren't aware of the campaign that, you know, people that were there from the beginning – you know, we're cognizantly doing this, like, hey, let's not make anyone feel a certain way. And I've never understood that, by the way, growing up. Like, why are we saying this? Like, I, we know it's not a good thing to say, but just because it's a cultural thing in the rest of the world, why do we have to do it here? Right. You know? So were you aware, did Pride Republic let you know some of the things that were going on behind the scenes? Because we know the entire 3252 council had to go to uh, an awareness day where they were uh, you know, introduced to people who had testimonials that had gone through horrific, horrific discrimination experiences. You know, they watch videos of, of, you know, just some terrible things that had happened to people who had been discriminated against. And, you know, how the entire 3252 came out of that meeting galvanized and, and you know, they really started to to lead that charge. And, and much of that was, you know, really spearheaded by Pride Republic. And so I don't know how many people know exactly what kind of went on behind the scenes in order to make sure that every single supporters group within the 3252 was unanimous and had had conversations with every one of their members, you know, in, in closed door forums for the most part um, prior to that game where the announcement by, you know, Joseph Zacker and, you know, certainly one of the most quintessential things he was able to accomplish during his presidency, I thought was was that game was the, the first moment in which the 3252 really came forward and stood for something. There was a lot of ideology, a lot of talk prior to that. But the first time we really saw some positive community action was that game that really laid the foundation for much of what the 3252 has gone on to do from that point on. But I'm curious to, to you being a person who was reaching out to Pride Republic, you know, how much transparency was involved in the process for someone who had been discriminated against? Well, I mean, I, I would say that, I mean, I, I personally was not aware of what the leadership, you know, discussions, trainings, you know, work that involved what all that was. I wasn't aware. 
um, you know, most of the Pride Republic supporters are, you know, just they're just want to participate in something that they have a good time with. They want to, it's a social thing. They want to hang out with, you know, they're, they're not as keyed in on that. And, and, you know, I'm not in the leadership of the Pride Republic. I wasn't then, I'm not now, but what you're describing, uh, I, to hear, this is the first I've ever heard of it. I'm actually quite grateful to know that that happened. And I think, you know, one of the things I would note, and one of the reasons I'm particularly grateful that the front office continues to put the rainbow flags out on the field at the start of every match is you don't do this once and it's done. You know, this is something that you just got to keep with it. You got to, because people keep coming in who have their experiences. And if you're going to say, this is our supporters culture, you know, you can't just tell people once. And then eight months later, they're still going to remember it. You got to keep reinforcing it over and over and over. Like, this is who we are. Have you ever got to do flag ceremony? Yes. Isn't it awesome? Yes. Actually, we uh, we carried out, we were part of the, t- the group carrying out one of the flags uh, that we had, the Canadian flag, uh, before the Pride match this, this last season when we played Montreal. So we were out on the field right in front of the 3252. It's pretty awesome. That's beautiful. I've, I've got to do flag ceremony both with, I've carried the D9 flag out and I've carried the Pride flag out before as well, too. It's a pretty awesome thing. Um, yeah, the, the Pride flag, I would say, I was terrified when they said, don't move the flag when the Falcon is out there. Because the falcon might come at you, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" So when, <laughs> that was scary. So, so I'm like, you know, as soon as they bring the falcon out, I'm just okay. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. But the flag was blowing in the wind. I was like, "Okay, please just don't don't claw come, my don't come at me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny. I've so only in, done the American flag. I haven't had a chance to get like one of the individual flags. To talk and those and those rainbow flags. Those are big. Yes, they are. They are They're big and they are heavy. heavy. Yes. So uh, how did, you know, after that experience in the aftermath, you know, how did your uh, love of LAFC and your involvement in Pride Republic grow? Yeah, you know, uh, that first year, it re- it was really just more rooted in just being a social fun thing, right? Like, but but feeling at least some degree of comfort that the team understood, the front office understood the importance of, of valuing all of their fans, um, regardless of th- their identity, that everyone is welcome. At LAFC, but you know something shifted. I I want to say for me in the second season, I think partly just because you're like coming back, right? You've been gone a few months, and then you come back, and it's like, oh yeah, this is familiar. Like it, you know, it's uh, it's like first day of school, except in their second year, right? <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, yeah, I, I I know where this is, I know what this is. Like some of these things are. Familiar. Well, it's like it's like when you go back to school and you've had the whole summer off and you get to see everybody again and right. it's like like that that kind of feeling, right? Yeah. It's kind of what it feels like when you go back. You know, certain people have broken up with other people, certain people date right. new people. There's like a whole right. social dynamic to it. But there you know, was there's... and there was like in advance of it, there was like chat on the on the WhatsApp group for the Pride Republic. Like people were getting excited, you know looking forward to, you know, getting together for the away games to do the, the watch parties. And we had a location all uh, sorted out. And so it, it felt different going into the second season. The first thing is kind of felt like we fell into it a little bit, even though obviously we had season tickets and all that. But it still felt like things were just sort of happening for the very first time every time. And so you're sort of discovering it as you go along. This felt like, OK, like we're being more intentional about this. Like we had everything blocked off on our calendars well in advance. Yep. Like we including the away matches that we had, you know, we could go to those as much as we could to the watch parties. And there was, I think there was just more of like a camaraderie that I felt with that. Uh, And certainly the team continued to keep its focus on being supportive of LGBT folks with the, with the rainbow flags in the field. We did like a tailgate and that was awesome to just like, 
get to hang out with people beforehand. And then we started doing like regularly getting together before matches outside the fields. So it just, it, it sort of snowballed really was what it was. And then that pride night really, and I, where you guys first sort of reached out to me was when I did this whole little Twitter thread about that, that pride night, which now then the 3252 actually reached out to me and I did a post as well on their, on their website. That really shifted something for me. That really shifted something meaningful for me. So speak to the process of, you know, what motivated you, you know, what words did you use? Why did you choose those yeah. words? I'd like to hear about that story because that really touched a lot of people in the community. Thanks. Well, firstly, Twitter is a very challenging medium. <laughs> right. You know, how do you how do you express things in sort of compact ways? Um, I think there were a couple things that sort of resonated for me. One was this idea of hiding. You know, I, a lot of people, I, I've, I've heard criti criticisms of people uh, of LGBT people that like, oh, well, if you don't want people to know, you can you can hide it, which I suppose, you know, is kind of technically true. But do I want to? You know, there's this thing called imposter sy syndrome where you sort of always feel like you're not actually part of something, even though you may actually be a part of it, but you don't feel like you're part of it. And that's sort of what I felt coming of that. Like, oh, well, you don't you can hide being gay. And and frankly, after that first match, I kind of felt like maybe I need to hide this. Like maybe I'm not actually welcome here. If I'm going to get through this season, maybe that's the only way I can really do this. So that was something that, you know, what I expressed in that, in that, uh, in sharing with folks on, on social media about my experience with that pride night. Uh, and since then is, is feeling like, no, not only do you not have to hide, we want your whole person here. We don't want you to not, we, do, we not only don't want you to hide, we actually really want you to be everything you are. And that includes being gay and what that means for you as a person. I mean, that's why I'm in LA, so I could be with this guy, right? Like right. that is that is why I moved to California so that I could be in a place where I could be involved in politics and I wouldn't be hindered by being a gay man. Like I felt like I would in the Midwest. Like there are so many things, ways that defines me and to feel like I not only didn't have to be afraid of it, but I should actually openly embrace it and celebrate it in this setting was, there's, I don't know how to express truly how that feels. Just hearing about it, I want to stand up and clap. It's kind of the same way I remember after reading through those posts. Man, exactly. I wanted to be like, I just wanted to cheer. I mean, it just brings that there's, out you. There's, you know, there's a young man who is part of the Pride Republic who I met uh, during one of our pregame festivities last season who is talking about how this was the first time he could be openly a man, you know, in the public. And how exciting this was for him. And I just, like, that moved me. This this moves me. And, I, and, and honestly, I don't, I did not expect this. I did not expect this. Like, everything I described to you about, like, should we join? Sure, cool. Let's go to this experience center. Let's get season tickets. All right, cool. And we're picking out, like, something. It's all just sort of like, this is fun. This is cool. It suddenly became... This is life, and this is something special, and I did not see that coming at all. And it's it's the kind of thing where, when every year my birthday's in third week of January, and like we get to the holidays, and my husband's always like, well, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" And I'm like, "Oh gosh, do I have to really think about that right now? Like, I'm just trying to get through the holidays." And this year he's like, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" And right around that time, LAFC announced. We're playing Peñarol on January 25th. And I was like, well, it's a few days after my birthday, but that's what I want to do. Yeah. And I invited a bunch of my friends, a lot of LGBT friends, not entirely, but a lot. 
and said, let's all go to this. Let's all go to this match. I would never have done that with Galaxy. Never. And frankly, I would never have been excited to do with LAFC if it wasn't for what they've given me. What they've done over the last couple of years. And I'm not, when I say LAFC, I don't just mean front office. I mean the fans. I mean the the culture of this organization, which it's hard to really put a, you can't put a price tag on that. And, you know, my friends who were there for some of whom for the very first time ever at an LAFC match and others, you know, had been to like one. Most of them had only been to one or none. They saw like how enthusiastic I was about it. They're just like, oh my gosh, you really love this, don't you? I was like, yes, don't you? And they're like, yeah, I actually kind of do. And like, honestly, that's how this club has really been as successful as it has is people feel seen and celebrated in a way that really makes this community something that I've really never experienced before in LA. So where do you see Pride Republic and the the entire LAFC experience going this year and beyond? How do you see this growing? I am aware that Pride Republic is excited to hopefully be a new supporters group within the 3252, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm not entirely sure what all the machinations are around that, but I believe- So in the bylaws of the 3252, when it was first ratified, there were rules and guidelines that were set up originally uh, with the first six SGs. And it stated that in order for someone else to become a supporters group, there was some time constraints that they had to show throughout the course of X amount of time that they were going to continue with it. There was a commitment to the community that had to be shown as well, too. So there were certain numbers of charitable works and participation in charitable works that had to be shown. There's some branding pieces to it. They had to show that they were doing something different and then some participation to it. I can't speak to the actual specifics of that, but I know that all of those things are pretty specific. Um, So, I mean, I I know that and (laughs) I believe one of those time frames um, (laughs) was that there is a two year period. Okay. So I believe there is a two year period from the time you submit a request until the time that request is Uh, approved. And throughout the course of that two years, you have to do a number of things. And I believe the two years for many people is coming up soon. So the 3252 is due to grow in the course of the next year in many many wonderful ways. So that's one thing I'm hoping for, for the Pride Republic for this year, is to see that happen. We've also found out that Pride Republic has a really good supporters team in terms of actual playing. (laughs) We found that out last season yeah, you guys whooped everybody pretty good yeah yeah, yeah i'm not even on that team. yeah there's yeah. a i mean that's a whole other thing that's like a whole yeah. other podcast but yeah there's the west hollywood uh soccer team which competes quite well in the every uh, quadrennial gay games which by the way they can't call the gay olympics because the olympics sued them and won many many years ago when they didn't want to be associated with lgbt people so it's the gay games but West Hollywood is like one of the top teams in the world within the gay games. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we had good um, luck, guys. a member of the team. <laughs> yeah. No, don't look at me. I'm I, not. I'm not going out there. No, I think but, it was, uh, uh, Chris. Chris Fajardo. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, I didn't. I didn't realize. Like, yeah, we we didn't win because we had less players this last year. I was like, you guys got second place with like <laughs> n- not enough players. Like that blew my mind. I didn't realize. You know, first of all, I didn't know about the supporter cup. Until after that episode, and then the fact that you know they were so close, I'm like very impressed that first of all, so many supporter groups have really good teams, and how competitive it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before we thank you and say good night, we have one last question that Uh we'd like to ask you, and that is, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? (laughs) Well, you know, I sort of go back to what I was saying about 
feeling seen and not having to hide and bringing your whole self. It's not even just that you're welcome, that we want that, that we want all of you here. Not, not, you don't have to hide anything. You don't have to be anyone you're not. We want you as you are here. Whatever stuff is going on in your life, whatever stuff you're dealing with, like bring it all and just let it go. And, you know, for those 90 minutes, just have a ball and let it just let it all like all this stuff that's bottled up, just let it all out, you know, chant, scream, yell, you know, clap, whatever you need to do and enjoy it and enjoy life. Would say I've never really found a community that has felt as uh, just openly supportive. And for me, that's, that's what shoulder to shoulder is. You, I don't know you, but you are my brother. You are my sister. And you are welcome. And non-binary dudes as well, too. That's right. Sure. So if people want to follow you, you're at LAFC Luke. If they're curious and maybe they were unaware of some of these testimonials, they can go to your Twitter page and they can find everything that you put there. Is it a pinned tweet? Do you have it like right there up at you top? You know, I or? should. I'll do that. I'll pin, pin it. it. And it's on the 3252 blog, blog as well. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll pin their tweet on my uh, on my page. Yeah. Perfect. That was a so LAFC Luke, yeah. Beautiful article. Beautiful Thank article. You. Uh, it definitely, I mean, it it touched us here at the pod to the point where we're like, dude, we got to get this guy on the show. Like, yeah. this is just like, so I remember, I mean, we all read it. And, and you know, like I mentioned a few moments ago, I think when I got to the end of it, I just wanted to like, it. it I was filled with a pride. Like, I felt better about LAFC having read it and I had nothing to do with it, right? And I felt like this odd feeling of like, I don't deserve to feel good about this. This isn't me. Um, But, you know, I mean, I was just happy that the community as a whole um, had generated these kind of feelings in someone, right? You know, and and I remember my many of my experiences with supporter culture, with Galaxy Games and, and, you know, with with other sporting experiences to see it being very anti-LGBT, right? Um, and, And to see that you know, not only has this club overcame some of that initial friction with the the goal kick chant and some of that other horrible stuff, but to see it have gone so far above and beyond that to embrace it to the point where yeah. we really do feel like everyone is welcome. I forgot to bring it with me today, but I, I always rock my Everyone Belongs in L.A. Yeah. Pride yes. jacket. I, I, that statement, I get more compliments when I wear that jacket around. People don't even see the front. They have no idea that it's an LAFC thing. You know, from the back, it's just black and white. It's not branded in, in Pride colors in that respect. It's not so people see the front that they make that connection. But I have so many people who yeah. compliment me when they see the back of that, just, just the phrase, Everyone Belongs in L.A., you know, that Pride Republic has put forward there. That phrase is so galvanizing to so many people and so many different communities. Mm-hmm. And and that to me is just one yeah. of the amazing things about this club and this culture. And, and I would just note too that like what this is really special in soccer culture across the planet, truly, because there's still all kinds of homophobia in so many other leagues all over. That. I mean, right. where are the out LGBT players anywhere else? Or, you know, where are we? How are we stopping this chant elsewhere? And so what we're doing at LAFC is not just significant for LA or for MLS. It's significant for soccer. Right. And we should be proud of that. We should really be willing to able to hold our heads up high for that. The fact that it was the Freddie Mercury TIFO that was award winning for the 3252, that's one thing. But there was worldwide coverage of that TIFO around the world. It was beautiful. So the fact that, you know, Freddie Mercury is the symbol and everyone knows how he lived his life, right? And what kind of person he was, not only in the arts, but personally. And that symbol is now something that was in newsreels around the country, around the world, 
giving it that significance and the recognition that we were able to get and also the emotional connection you were able to feel because of it all to me is very meaningful, which is, you know, going back to what we said, like you put in very nice words where we're not feeling the same things you do because we don't have the same life experiences. But the fact that it's making someone feel this way and welcome is is very touching. I think all of us have something that we bring to the LAFC community that we might not feel as open in sharing with people outside of the LAFC community, no matter what it is. And something that's been really positive about this community is no matter where you come from in your walk of life, uh, the LAFC culture has helped us live a little bit more openly, a little bit more proud of, of who we are individually. And that's it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, again, thank you guys so much for making the trek all the way out here to Shoulder to Shoulder <laughs> Studios. We know we are Happy a bit to. far. We sincerely appreciate yeah. you coming out and joining us today. And obviously, Thank you for yeah. inviting me. Oh, of course. Thank you. Yeah. On behalf of uh, Chris, who could not be here tonight, shout out to him and his family. It's his son's birthday today. So a uh, uh, happiest, happiest of birthdays. So on behalf of Chris, Wilton, Christian, myself, Thank you guys so much for coming, representing Pride Republic, representing our community, and and certainly speaking for yourself so eloquently, both tonight on the show and, and in your statements you've made for the community. We sincerely appreciate that. With that said, take us home, Sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.